Church, let me encourage you, if you would, to grab your Bible. Join me in the book of Ephesians. Man, I'm just still thinking about the words we just sang. The hymn of heaven is being sung today in this place. We praise God for what he's done and what he is doing among us. And I do want to say this right up front. I, I believe that some of you are here very specifically because the Lord knows that you need to hear and see of his love in a very real and tangible way. It is my prayer, it is our prayer as a church that if you're here today recognizing already that there's something going on in your heart and in your mind that, that maybe you can't even understand or, or, or there's something that you realize might be missing, it is our prayer that, that in this, this moment we share together you would see how, how deep and how wide, how awesome is the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's our prayer today. We're gonna do so, or we're gonna try to, try to pray that prayer through the, the, the lens of the word of God, the scripture, the Bible. And today we're gonna start in Ephesians 5 and then we're gonna, we're gonna spend some time in John chapter four. So if you've been with us at Shades in recent weeks, you know we're walking through a series in the book of Ephesians. If you're new, we welcome you in, into this celebration today and, and into this, this moment where we turn our attention to the word of God. We're walking through this, this book of Ephesians, a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to one of the early churches, a church in a place called Ephesus, that, that helps us understand as a church the good news of the gospel, what Christ has done, and then the implications of the gospel and what that means for us in how we live our lives in the world today. Over the last few weeks specifically, we've been dealing with marriage and the family. And we've been seeing in Ephesians 5 that God has a very clear design for marriage. A, a, a man and a woman in a covenant with God for life. That is his design. And he has very specific clear roles for the husband in a marriage relationship. And specific clear roles for the wife in a marriage relationship. And, and I just want to say right up front, that is such a gift. That God in his love for us has clearly laid out his design, his created order, his ideal for us to experience in the context of a marriage relationship. It's so beautiful. In a, in a world of so much confusion and so many different opinions and so many different beliefs about the marriage relationship, it is a tremendous gift that God in his love for us has laid out very clearly his design and his creation for the marriage relationship. We see that in Ephesians 5, 31 through 33, where we'll turn in just a moment. But I also recognize that when we, when we talk about God's design, and when we see what the word of God lays out as God's ideal, God's best for us in the context of marriage and family, you may be here today or you may be joining us online for this message going, well, well, I see the design, I see God's best, but that's not what I'm experiencing. In fact, as many of us painfully know, it's oftentimes marriage and the family where we experience the greatest sorrow, the greatest loss, the greatest pain. It's often marriage and the family where we experience the greatest brokenness. And so we're going to turn our attention from Ephesians 5, where we'll start, 
to John chapter four, where we'll see an encounter with Jesus so that we all can see clearly the Bible does lay before us God's design. The Bible does show us a very clear picture of God's best. And at the same time, the Bible also meets us in our brokenness. And the Bible also meets us when we're outside of God's design or when we're not experiencing his best for our lives. That's where we're going today. We'll start with Ephesians 5.31. I do wanna invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me as I read this opening text. And this will bring us to the conclusion of our study in Ephesians 5. We'll jump into Ephesians 6 next week, looking at parents and children. We're gonna have some kids in the room with us, more kids than normal, so that we can see what the word of God says about parenting and children. But today we wrap up Ephesians 5, and this is what it says about the marriage relationship. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. That's why this is so important. That's why it's such a big deal that we understand God's design for marriage and the family because it's to be a testimony. It's to be a picture of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And it says, verse 33, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. God's design, God's ideal, God's best. Let's go before the Lord. Let's ask him to use this day in our lives to reveal to us what he knows we need to see as we stand on the foundation of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now needing to hear from you. I pray, Lord, in the power of your spirit that you would speak into our lives. You know, you know there is something specific we need to hear today. So, Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to think deeply on your word. Use this day for your glory in our lives. And, Lord, I I recognize that even bringing up the word brokenness as it relates to marriage and the family it already begins to to hurt in a personal way for some. It already begins to go to some, some places that are painful. But Lord, I pray that you would guide us there in your spirit so that we can see through the power of your word coming to life in us that even in the midst of brokenness, You are at work. You are pursuing us. Your grace is sufficient. And I pray, Lord God, that there would be healing and redemption that would come because of of your love for us intersecting with our brokenness. Lord, use this day for your glory. I pray for the marriages and the families represented here and online. Lord, use this day for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. In some form or fashion, we all have experienced a a strange collision that happens in the context of marriage and family. Marriage and family is the context where we have some of the greatest celebrations and the greatest joy in life. Some of the greatest moments, uh, a wedding celebration, 
vows before loved ones. The, the day when a child is welcomed into the home. The day when a grandchild is born. There are tremendous joys and tremendous celebrations that happen in the context of marriage and the family. But that strange collision is the reality that some of life's greatest pain is found in the context of marriage and the family. There's the grief of loss. There's the pain of broken relationships. A pain of a, a wayward child who has rebelled and, and gone away from the family. Many times we look at marriage and the family from an idealistic view, but then we just feel grief because we're not experiencing that ideal. In fact, many times in the church, we are guilty. I, I must confess as a pastor, we're often guilty of, uh, of, of doing a, a pretty good job of celebrating good marriage, healthy marriage, good family, healthy marriage, but, but not really sure what to do with broken family, broken marriage. And you may have experienced that before. In fact, you may be here today after hearing God's design and God's ideal for the marriage relationship saying that's, that's anything but what I've experienced. You may be here with some shattered dreams. You may be here with some, some great difficulty and pain that you've walked through. You may just hear the word family and all you think is brokenness. Here's what I want you to know right out of the gate. Before we go back to Ephesians, before we turn to the Gospel of John, we just need to clear the air on this. There is no such thing as a family that does not experience brokenness in some form or fashion. We just need to clear the air on that, especially on a Sunday morning at church in the South, right? Because we often come in here Sunday morning, church in the South, and we all have, have dressed up a little bit, you know, maybe nicer than what you wore yesterday. And, and we all put on the smile and we see each other in the hall and we say, everything's good, everything's great. And yet for so many behind the scenes, there's tremendous pain. There's tremendous brokenness. And when we think everybody around us is doing good and doing great, it's very easy for us to just remain in hiding and to wonder, can God really even love me because of what I'm experiencing, because of what I've walked through? If they really knew my story, would they just cast me aside? Would they just kick me to the curb? We need to clear the air and just say there's, there's no such thing as a, a family that, that does not come face to face with brokenness. And the family of God should be honest about that. The family of God should be a place where it's safe to say, hey, we do have brokenness in our lives. We, we want to experience God's best, but many times we have missed it. Many times we've been far from it. Many times we've even made decisions that took us away from it. We must be honest about our brokenness so that we can then truly experience the beauty of what God provides. And that's what we're gonna see here in John chapter four. John chapter four is an incredible story of a woman who has an encounter 
with Jesus. And we go to John 4, again, from the foundation of what we've seen in Ephesians 5, God's design for the marriage relationship, God's best for the marriage relationship, God's ideal for the marriage relationship. And then we step into John 4 to realize that the word of God speaks very clearly to us when we're not in the midst of his best, his ideal for our relationships and not walking in step with his design. This is an encounter that Jesus has with a woman in a place called Samaria. And the details of this story and the way it's laid out in the word of God in John 4 are very important because they set the context and they show us the power of the grace and mercy of God. What we celebrate around here as the good news of the gospel. We're going to see that clearly on display in John 4. But first, let's just set the scene. and Let's see what's going on. Jesus is on a journey between the region of Judea and a region called the Galilee. It's where the Sea of Galilee is contained. And it's a place where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And many of his miracles were performed in the Galilee region. In the beginning of John 4, we see that Jesus is traveling between these two areas. And the, the straightest path between Judea and Galilee would take you through a, an area called Samaria. This is important. Because religious Jews would not take the straightest path between Judea and Galilee. They would take a long path from Judea to Galilee to make sure they go around Samaria. They wanted to bypass Samaria altogether. And here's why. The Samaritans were looked down upon by the religious Jews. They were even called half-breeds. They were referred to as a place of great brokenness. The Jews wanted to do everything they could to avoid Samaritans at all costs, even adding multiple hours to a lengthy journey to make sure they went around Samaria altogether and didn't have to come face to face with a broken Samaritan. They wanted to avoid this place at all costs. But look at what it says about Jesus. Some of you, this is the very reason you are here today, even though you may not realize it. You need to hear this verse from John 4. John 4, verse 4 says this, and he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. This is so important. Every word in the scripture matters. Every word in the scripture paints a picture of God's love and grace for us to see in some form or fashion. It's no exception right here. We may just smooth right past this and go on to the, the heart of this encounter, but what John says in this verse is so incredibly important because it shows us that Jesus does not bypass broken people. Jesus does not bypass our brokenness. He does not avoid our brokenness. He enters right into it. He had to pass through Samaria. That's who Jesus is. He has come for broken people. Mark chapter two says it this way. This is why Jesus came. Mark chapter two, verse 17, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I have to pass through Samaria. 
I'm not going to avoid broken people the way sometimes religious people do. That's not me, Jesus says. No, I'm going to the broken places. I'm going to broken people. I will not bypass or avoid or cast aside or ignore broken people. I realize you may be here today and maybe some of the pain you've experienced in your life has been a religious pain. It's a very real thing. I, I hate that it's true. I wish it wasn't. As a pastor, it breaks my heart. I, I wish it were not true. But, but there is a very real religious pain that some people encounter where, where those who are religious say condemning things. Those who are religious say things that cast people aside. Those who are religious say things that, that, that really create pain. I know that's not true of everybody, praise God. There are tremendous people of God here at Shades Mountain, praise God. But there are times that religious people can treat others who are different from them in ways that cause great pain. Some of you have experienced that. And you need to hear Jesus say, no, I, I have to pass through Samaria. I don't avoid broken people. I don't cast the broken aside. I did not come for those who think they're righteous. I came for those who know they're sick. That's why Jesus came. He had to pass through Samaria. Then we get some more context. Look at verses six through seven of John four. It says, Jesus was wearied from his journey and he was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour and a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now again, the details, each word in scripture is important. So I want to draw your attention to another statement that might be easy to just skim right over to get into the guts of this story. It says it was about the sixth hour. Why does that matter? Why does the time of this encounter have any significance whatsoever? Well, when the scripture says it was about the sixth hour, it means it was about the sixth hour after the sun had come up, which means it's the middle of the day, six hours after sunrise, which means it's the heat of the day. When a woman from a household would go to draw water at the well, it was difficult work. She had to carry her water jar with her from her house to her well. It was also work that could be tedious, and it would be better to do that work with others. And so the normal time to draw water from the well was before the sun came up, before the heat of the day. And the normal way to draw water at the well was to gather together with others from the village. This was a communal ex exercise. This was like the coffee shop of our day or the group fitness studio of our day. Typically, the women of the village of the area would gather together at the well, not this woman. She comes at the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, the hardest time of the day to do this difficult work, and she comes all alone. Why is that? This is a woman who has experienced great pain. She's experienced those, those sharp glares from other ladies. This is a woman who's experienced what it means to be the center of gossip, to be gossiped about. This is a woman who has faced 
harsh judgment from others based on the decisions she's made and the mistakes of her life and the circumstances she's walked through. And so she's come to a place in her brokenness that her shame has now defined her story. And she's just concluded, you know what? It's just better to avoid people altogether. I know they're talking about me. I'd just rather not hear it. I know they're taking shots at me. I'd just rather not see it. And so I'm just gonna go to the well in the middle of the day when I can be all alone. I know some of you, that may be you today, and you're even apprehensive being here. Or maybe you're joining us online for this very reason because you're just not sure if you can be around other people right now because of what you've experienced in your story. This woman has walked through tremendous pain and she wants to be left alone quite honestly because of the pain she's experienced at the hands of others and she probably is very surprised to come to the well and find a man sitting there, a man who happens to be Jesus. John chapter four, verse nine says this, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then the scripture says, so that it's clear, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. How is it that you are willing to even talk to me? How is it that you're even willing to be here right now? This doesn't make sense because my society has set up a system and that system has walls. And there's the walls of classism that the people who make this amount of money, they don't interact with people who make that amount of money. No, we have a wall of classism. Stay behind your wall. And then our society has this wall of racism where people of, of this ethnicity or, or this background or this look or this skin tone, they don't interact with people of, of this background and this look and this skin tone. No, no, stay behind your wall. And then there's the very real system of sexism, which was so much at play. 2,000 years ago in a world where women had no voice and no authority and no power whatsoever and were second-class citizens and, and, and it just seems to work so much easier. And here's Jesus pushing through every wall. He pushes through the wall of classism he pushes through the wall of racism. He pushes through the wall of sexism. And he goes to a place that he has to go. He had to pass through Samaria so that he can encounter a woman in the midst of her brokenness who has been cast aside by everyone so that she can see that there is a God who loves her. And even though men love to build walls, our God loves to tear them down, baby. And this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus does not bypass our brokenness, but pushes through the walls so that we can see his love and his grace. That's what Jesus is doing here. And this woman, she's, she's never experienced anything like this. She's never experienced someone who is willing to push through those walls and willing to meet her on her turf and willing to even interact with her and have a conversation. And it, it, it honestly catches her off guard. We pick it back up at verse 13. Jesus said to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water. It sounds amazing so that I won't have to come back to this well in the middle of the day, so that I won't have to do all this hard work in the middle of the day, so that I won't have to live with all this shame anymore. Give me this water so that I'll never be thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. This is going to be challenging for some of us. But the way many people look at Jesus, the church, religion, is honestly the way this woman initially responds to Jesus. She's excited because she's being offered something she's never been offered before. That's a good start. But then she concludes that what she's being offered is a much easier life. God's gonna give me what I want now. He's gonna change my circumstance. I won't have to deal with all this hard stuff anymore. If I, if I take this living water, I won't have to go to this well anymore. I, have to, I just get to go to a new life altogether. If I take this living water, I'm gonna get what I want. My life will be easier. That's what many people wanna believe. And so they say, Jesus, yeah, I'll, I'll trust you, Jesus. I'll, I'll try you. I'll go to church. I mean, people have been inviting me. I'll go to church. And as long as my life gets better and I get what I want, I'll keep, I'll keep going to church. But if things don't get better or if life is still hard, then I'll say, you know, I tried that and I'm gonna move on to something else altogether. I, I do think this is important to say today. We live in a culture, please don't miss, miss this, we live in a culture where it's only gonna get harder to be a Christian. It's not getting any easier. And so if you're, if you're trying to, to say, I'll trust Jesus, I'll follow Jesus so that my life will get easier, you're actually missing the point altogether. Because Jesus never promises to give us an easier life but Jesus does promise to give us a new life. He promises to give us something greater than more comfort or greater than an easier life. He promises to give us a new identity. He promises to invite us into a new family, into a new kingdom. He promises that if we trust in him and have an identity as one who has been saved by the good news of the gospel and forgiven of our sins and covered in the grace and mercy of the finished work of the cross and the power of his resurrection, that if that becomes our story and that becomes our identity, we are a part of the family of God for all of eternity. As a child of God, once we were lost, now we're found. Once we were dead, now we're alive. Jesus offers a new identity. And this woman is beginning to gain some understanding as to what this is all about and what Jesus is offering her. But for her to truly understand the gift of a new identity and a new life through Jesus Christ, she must first be honest with her brokenness and come face to face with her shame. And this is the part where it makes us nervous. Look at what happens. John 4, verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband 
and then come here. But the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And this is the moment where every person who's ever experienced religious pain or who's ever experienced someone being condemning or judgmental to them for the way they've lived just gets a knot in their stomach. Because Jesus knows everything. And everything that this woman's been trying to avoid and every part of her story that she's been trying to keep from everyone else and all the things that have happened in her life that caused her to not want to be around anyone at all because they might point a finger, they might condemn, they might judge. Now all of a sudden she's sitting in front of someone and he knows every detail. Think about this. I mean, imagine if every detail of your life were just put up on the screen right now. Not, not the Instagram life, the real life. If every image of everything you've ever done flashed across the screen right now, I mean, can you imagine? And for this woman in this moment, it appears like her worst nightmare might be coming true. Oh, he knows everything. Does that mean there's more condemnation to follow? Does that mean yet another person is gonna cast me aside? Does that mean yet more judgment is gonna be my story? And yet, it's through Jesus showing this woman that he knows every detail, that he then invites this woman to see the beauty of real grace. Jesus knows it all. He does not condemn, he does not judge. He invites her into this beautiful gift called repentance. Now, what is that all about? Repentance is one of those words that in the church, sometimes it sounds like it could be a negative word or it's a word that maybe, maybe you've heard someone use kind of like to beat somebody over the head, like it's time for you to repent. What, what is repentance all about? Well, repentance is this beautiful invitation. It's to turn away from one thing and to turn to something new altogether. In the context of salvation, in the context of the gospel, repentance is an invitation to turn away from our old self, our old life, and to turn to a new life, a new identity in the finished work of Jesus Christ, forgiven and covered in his grace. It's what we just celebrated when we cheered for baptism. This picture of the old being buried and gone and the new coming, something new all together. That's what it means to repent, to be honest about who I was and what I need and who I am in Jesus Christ and his finished work. And so Jesus is honest with this woman, telling her that he knows her story so that she can see the invitation to repent and to receive a brand new identity and a brand new story altogether. And that's what we see in John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, don't miss it. I who you speak to am he. Amazing. And just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said anything, which is really wise for the disciples in this moment. They, they did the right thing. 
They didn't ask what you seek or why are you talking to her. They just marveled at what they were seeing. And then listen to this. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, the people that she was trying to avoid, the people that she was embarrassed to be around, the people that she didn't want to have anything to do with because the way she had been treated, because the things she had walked through, she lays her water jar down. The very thing that symbolizes her shame and her brokenness, she lays it at the feet of Jesus and she goes back to town to tell this crowd of people, I met a man who knew everything about me. Can this be the Christ? How in the world can that happen? How in the world can everything that represented her shame be left behind and she go to the very group of people she wanted to stay away from saying, he told me everything I've ever done and it was awesome. It was incredible. It wasn't condemning. It wasn't full of shame. It wasn't being pushed aside. No, it was incredible. Why? It's one word. It's grace. She came face to face with grace. And the grace of God through Jesus Christ changed her story altogether. The jar, it's left. A new woman goes back to town and says, hey, you gotta come and meet this man. He knew everything about me. Is this the Christ? And then her testimony is told in one verse, John 4, 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Her life has been changed. This is the power of the gospel. This is the beauty of the cross. This is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're about to take together right now. There is good news in the finished work of Jesus Christ. A story of shame can be a testimony of new life. A story of brokenness can be a story of beauty because the finished work of Christ. There is forgiveness for sins through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at the cross so that we might be covered in the grace of God and invited into new life through the gift of salvation. This is the gospel. And this is what we celebrate at the Lord's table. The bread that represents the body of Christ that hung on a cross. The blood that represents, or excuse me, the, the cup that represents the blood of Christ shed for your sin and for mine. The finished work of Jesus Christ that invites us to be called a new creation, given a new identity as a child of God. Is this your story? For it is our prayer that this would be the story for every single one of us. That we would see Jesus Christ in his grace and mercy pass through our brokenness so that we can lay down our jar, lay down our shame, 
and step into a new identity as a living testimony of what Jesus Christ has done. We got stations all around the room. I'm gonna have a word of prayer for us as we enter into this time. I realize that there's a lot of folks in this room, but we've got a bunch of different stations, the balcony, the back of the room, middle of the room, down front here. And we just wanna open this up to you to give you the chance when you feel ready to come and to grab the elements of the Lord's Supper. There's a cup with a little wafer in it, so you've got the bread and you've got the, the, the cup together. Grab that little cup and wafer, go back to your seat. Take a moment to just be with the Lord. Maybe you're here with your family or you're here with your spouse and you wanna pray together. Maybe you're here just needing to be alone with the Lord. Maybe you've got some friends around you and you wanna pray together. Take a moment and just pray to the Lord and ask him to show you whatever, whatever jar perhaps you've been carrying that needs to be laid at the foot of the Savior. Ask the Lord to show you whatever in your life needs healing where is grace needed right now? And just go before the Lord and remember what Jesus Christ has done. Then we'll take these elements together. After everyone has been served and is back in their seats, we'll take these elements together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and the finished work of Jesus Christ. I also want you to know that as we move around the room and everybody's going to these stations, we're gonna open these two side doors and we've got some of our team that's, that's ready just to pray with you. And so you may be here today carrying some, some very significant weight in your family or in your marriage, or, or maybe you're here today and you've got a child that, that is a prodigal that is wandering away, or, or maybe you're walking through some health issues or some difficult struggles and you just want someone to pray with you. Well, as we all stand and move to these stations, you can just make your way out of uh, the worship center and come to these side hallways. We'd love to pray with you. It's a privilege to enter into those sacred moments of prayer with one another. We'd love to be able to lift up whatever it is that's going on in your life. Let me have a word of prayer for us and then we will open up these tables and, and we'll take of these elements and celebrate the good news of what Christ has done. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And we thank you for the incredible gift of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ that represents a new identity a new identity as one trusting in Christ who has been forgiven, who has been covered in grace, who has been given the invitation to, to repent, to turn from the old self and turn to the new, to turn from sin and to, to turn to forgiveness, to lay down the water jar and to live as a testimony of the finished work of Jesus Christ that sets us free. Oh, Father, we thank you for the blood that was shed to forgive sins at the cross. We thank you for the perfect and spotless lamb, Jesus, who hung on that cross. And we pray, Lord God, that we would live in light of what you have done and what you have offered to us through the good news of the gospel. We commit this time to you as we remember what you've done. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen, amen. These stations are open. Our prayer team is ready. Use this to have a moment with the Lord to remember the gift of the cross.
of God tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed and taken away to be beaten, to be thrown before a mock trial, to be spat upon, and to eventually go to the cross, that before all of that took place, he gathered with his disciples. And I just love to think about this beautiful moment. We've had the privilege on several occasions to, to be in Jerusalem and to be in a place where you can get this visual of what the upper room must have been like as Jesus gathered with his disciples on that night. What a sacred time. The scripture says they shared a meal, we call that the Last Supper, and then Jesus took out a, a cloth and a bowl of water and he washed all the disciples' feet to show that he had come to serve and to, to then call them to live a life of service as his followers. And then he, then he took some bread and he broke it. And he said to the disciples, take and eat for this represents my body and remember, remember what I have come to do for you and for the sins of the world. So take and eat and remember the body of Christ that hung on the cross for you. And then Jesus took a, a cup of wine and he held it before his disciples and he said this, this cup actually represents a new covenant, which means a new identity, which means a new life through the power of forgiveness, through the power of grace, through the power of mercy. There's a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at the cross. And so Jesus said, take and, and drink this cup and remember the sacrifice that was made so that you could be forgiven and then, then go into the world and live, do this in remembrance of me, live in light of the finished work of the cross. So take and drink and remember the gift of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness of your sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We thank you for the gift that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, your only son, giving his life so that we might be forgiven and, and made new and, and called your own. Lord, we thank you for those who are here today who perhaps are even experiencing this beautiful reality of the gospel in a new way, for the first time, we, we recognize those who are among us who are brand new to the, the, the life of following Jesus. And Father, we pray your hand of blessing on them. We pray that, that they would see the all-sufficient gift of Jesus that covers their sin makes them new. Father, for those who've been journeying on this Christian life for, for many years now, I pray, I pray, Lord God, that you would breathe fresh life and fresh renewal and fresh energy into their heart and mind through the power of your spirit as they remember the cross. I pray that this would never become old news. This would continue to remain the best news and that, that you would use this gift that you have given us to then turn our lives into a testimony of your faithfulness and your amazing grace. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for inviting us to be made new. It's in Jesus' name I pray.